When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome to everybody, this is your host Christopher Rennie bringing another episode of the Buck Off Podcast, this time on the Land Grant Podcast Network, and as always, I'm joined by Jordan Williams. How are you doing today, Jordan? Man, honestly, I'm exhausted, <laughs> uh, but I have a good weekend planned, so that is what's getting me through the night one more day at work, and unfortunately for me, it's a real day at work. I don't work much on Fridays. Typically, I have a couple meetings, but tomorrow I have like a long retreat. So it's a real day at work, but I'm going to a concert after that, so I'll be all right. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be you know, every once in a while, uh, Friday will get the best of you, but when you have something to look forward to after, it's, it's pretty great. Um... Yeah, you see me, I've been in battle all day. I'm going to be in battle all day tomorrow. I'm going to be in battle all day Saturday and Sunday because March Madness is here and sports betting is legal in the state of Ohio. So I have placed a wager on every game, one unit every game, round of 64. Uh, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a 32 games. It's a, it's a lot of... Uh, a lot of intensity and I'm exhausted um, but we're going to get this show going because Ohio State football is on spring break um, the Ohio State University is on spring break but you know what the Buck Off podcast never takes a break except that one time but we are here to talk about Ohio State spring and kind of these interviews that happened this week as well as the NFL free agency we're going to get a little bit into that and how the Ohio State Buckeyes are doing in that that are in the league. So, uh, I mean, where do you want to get started today? I think um, the biggest news on the docket is the yearly raises of the coaches. You know, I always love it. You go on, uh, you know, you see the Twitter comments. You see the comments on all the websites. Like, why do these guys get raises? They lost to Michigan. Um, you know, see, the thing is, the one profession that gets truly adjusted for inflation every year is the Power Five elite football program head coaching staff. So everyone's going to get a raise. Even if it's a 3% raise, there's going to be a raise. And I'm excited to talk about it because I know that despite us not being a pocket-watching podcast, uh, coaches are different. They're adults. We can watch their pockets a little bit because their job is to win football games. And when they don't do it well enough, People are going to ask questions, so that's why we're here. That's why we're going to discuss it. So, how are you feeling about it? Any one of these names truly really stand out to you that you want to start with? 
honestly, I feel like I say this. This is the third maybe year in a row or season in a row that I've said this. This is the least important news for me. I don't pocket watch. I really don't care. Ohio State is rich. Um, but I guess the one that stuck out to me only because it's the most opposite of fan opinion. It's the most opposite of what we talk about on this podcast is Tim Walton getting a $300,000 raise, a new contract until 2025, which he's, except for, he's one of a few of them who's ends in 2025. And, um, adding the defensive pass game coordinator uh, title, like that just runs contrary to what we saw from his group last year. So like that sticks out to me because like, what the fuck? But in general, I don't care because Ohio State can afford it. And if these guys suck at the job, they can afford to fire them. But like, I think you said it right before we started that, you know, he must be different in the building and maybe, and and I, I do want to be fair I try to be fair when I'm critical. He did have a lot of injuries, and it was his first year. So there is a chance that he's a much better coach than we've seen, and he's actually what Jalen Ramsey said he was, and that's finally going to show on the field. But they have a lot more faith in him than what I would say was warranted based on the performance of the unit. So that one kind of sticks out to me, but like overall it's just like the rich got richer. Oh, the other one that stuck out to me only because, uh, well, there's two other ones, but they're not like, I don't want to say they're not real coaches or whatever. Um, the fact that Keenan Bailey made $150,000 as a QC is nuts to me. Like, that's crazy. Um, it just shows how much money's in the program and how much money, which I get it because he's an adult and he can't make $10,000 or whatever, but how much money James Laurinaitis is making, like, that is the one that really, really sticks out to me because I didn't even know you were legally allowed to do that. Yeah, I mean, I guess when you really look at most grad assistants, they don't have James Laurinaitis's pedigree. Um, so I kind of get why, you know, the you know run of the mill grad assistant isn't getting paid one hundred forty two thousand dollars. But like as you said, he's not really yeah. a, my traditional grad assistant. Like he is basically an 11, 11 staff coach because yeah. he's not. Like he's, like I don't even know how much school he's doing. Um, he's just, probably doing something at like Urban Meyer's leadership school, so like that that's an easy A for him. Yeah, I I think it's uh, interesting but, yeah. that he has to follow the grad assistant route to be able to become a coach, but he doesn't have to get paid like a grad assistant. It's like it's like the NCAA or whoever makes the rules, they like pick and choose what you have to follow. So like. Yeah, he has to. You have to essentially have a master's. You have to essentially have been a grad assistant. All of the quality coaches have at some point. You typically go, at least at Ohio State, you typically go from grad assistant to quality control. And then if you're lucky, like Keenan Bailey and Corey Dennis, you get a full time job. So it's like he has to follow that path. He has to get the masters and stuff like that. But they're able to pay him whatever he wants. And again, he is a grown ass man with kids and a family. Like he's not yeah. going to live off. I, I'm not saying it's negative what he's paying, being paid. It's probably too little. Uh, I'm just surprised. I, I just didn't know that they were allowed to do that. And I think that a lot of grad assistants across the country should see that in question. Like, listen, okay, I get it. 
you are not going to pay me $142,000. You're not Ohio State. I'm not James Lord Nitus. But could you pay me forty? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and, and it's really thirty because the school is going to give me fourteen. Could you just give me the twenty-six? I think that's the math. Fourteen, twenty-six. Yeah. Could you just give me the twenty-six to get me to forty? That's still basically poverty. But like, I could do something with that. Like. That's the interesting yeah. thing to me. Yeah, you don't need four roommates with it. Uh, that'd be <laughs> that'd be a nice part. And I was yeah, gonna be can... I was gonna be a grad assistant. And typically, the grad assistants just live together because they can't do anything else, and they just eat at the school. Like grad assistants at some places are treated worse than the are, are treated worse than the players. And ultimately, like yeah. if it works, it works. And I I still wish I was in a position that I could have done it, but. Yeah, his his life much much better than your your typical grad yeah, assistant. I'll tell you that. He had to compete with the radio station uh, salary he was getting, so that's really probably where it came what it came down to. Um, I kind of want to go back to Tim Walton for a second. Um, I think it's gonna be interesting. I, I so I, I've got like I've always wondered this like. Obviously, Brian Hartline produced a bunch of really talented receivers, right? He recruited at an incredibly high level. So, you know, you've got the on-field performance and you've got the recruiting performance. Tim Walton, you know, like like we said, like we've already talked about before the show, on the show, like he didn't really have the most elite group on the field. He didn't necessarily have like an insanely deep recruiting class, unless you want to include Davison Igbinosin in that count. Um, but I, I do think it's interesting that he's not only the defensive pass game coordinator now, he's the secondary coach. So that means he oversees the whole back end and Perry Eliano remains the safeties coach. You know, and I think that's an interesting dynamic when, like you said, you look at the fans' perspective. They see Perry Eliano, they see Sauce Gardner, they see Kobe Bryant, you know, that year. Um, It's interesting to me because I feel like I don't have, like, a full opinion on this because I'm not in the room. I don't see these guys coach every day. But it's interesting that fan perception forms and you see, like, all this. Tim Walton gave from the NFL – He's got like 23 years of coaching experience. So there's obviously a lot of stuff he knows that like the old saying goes, like he knows more football than I'd ever forget about. So, or he forgets more football than I'd ever know. Yeah. So I'm just intrigued by like, why is he making 500,000 more dollars? Like, where is the perception loss? Like, that, that, I think that's where I'm getting at. I wanted to know if you had any thoughts on that. Like, because I, I don't know. I, I feel like on our show last year, we perceived Perry Eliano when he got hired as a bigger hire. But it seems like Brian Day and the staff seem to think that Tim Walton has a greater importance. So, for me, I think that is just stature. Uh, Perry Eliano's like 31 or 2, something like that. He's still relatively new in the coaching world, and his biggest job was Cincinnati. Granted, he taught he taught uh, like the number 6 or whatever pick and uh, the NFL Defensive Player of the Year, but like if you think about it, Kerry Combs has like three of those. So he's still relatively young in the profession, despite his success and despite how well respected he is. Whereas Tim Walton has been in the NFL for years 
And so I think it's that. He's the older guy. He has more experience. He's a former Ohio State player. The NFL carries a lot of weight. If you can get an NFL coach to come to college, especially someone who I think hadn't coached in college since damn near the 80s or 90s, something crazy. So I think that's why. I think um, – I am still higher on Eliano and his potential. I think Eliano has head coach potential where like Tim Walton doesn't. He's already older. Like he's he's probably yeah. like he is what he is. I think Eliano has knock on wood, it's no time soon, but I think he has head coach potential. I think he can be a defensive coordinator. Like his star is higher. But he, he's also much lower in that because, again, I, I don't know his exact age, but he's young. And that's why if you look in this pecking order, yeah, his title is lower, you know, his salary. 44. He's four, how is he 44? He couldn't he's have got been, 19 years of coaching experience is what his – Perry Eliano uh, does? Yeah, his Cincinnati profile said – but Cincinnati so was still his highest. Now. Cincinnati was yeah. still his highest job, though. Yeah. So you oh. had Stephen F. Austin, Central Arkansas, UTSA, um, Bowling Green, New Mexico, Cincinnati. So despite the fact that I was like ten years too young, everything else was right because Tim Walton yeah. was still in his sixties and he still was in yeah, the NFL forever. Twenty-five and years of coaching experience. Yeah. So both was, levels. So yeah, stature. I think that's actually not something I thought about. Because yeah, I'm just looking at Tim Walton's profile now, and man, nineteen ninety four is when he played. His list of jobs: the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think that's a little bigger than the University of New Mexico, the New York Giants, the St. Louis Rams, Detroit Lions. You know, it's not like he coached at like. The, yeah, he was a defensive coordinator in the NFL. I had no idea. I always forget that. And then a defense coordinator in college, two years. So, yeah, I guess looking back at the history, it makes a little sense. And I do think, like I think we alluded to, there is probably a lot more in the building that goes on than we give credit for. I mean, I, yeah, I, I was going to say something, but it's pretty much semantics. I was going to say it's not that we don't give credit. We don't know. Like we yeah, can't we give really credit don't for know. what we don't know. We can give we can only give credit for what we see, uh, and what we saw was not enough. So yeah, you know, thinking back on it, you know, don't get me wrong, the corners had a rough year, but getting like multiple freshmen and redshirt freshmen ready to start games when they shouldn't even really be expected to play on the field with where they were coming from recruiting wise. I'll be honest. It actually takes some. It takes some good coaching to do that. And that's why I said I wanted to be fair, and that maybe last year was not a true, you know, uh, picture of what he is or what he can do because of the age, which is not his fault. Because of the lack of recruiting, which is not his fault. Uh, because of the lack of depth, which is not his fault, and because of the injuries, which probably isn't his fault unless they were tied into how he was coaching them. Yeah. But like I'm not gonna put that on him. There's no proof of that. That's their I and think they're freak injuries. So that really kinda goes to show like with position coaches, like you really can't rate them on their first year. Uh it's the second year is when you can really start evaluating them, I think. And we're gonna see that recruiting wise. Um and yeah, I think the Tim Walton conversation is interesting. Um, I, I we'll, we'll save him for last. We we're gonna save Fleming for last in this conversation. But Brian Hartline making more money than Kevin Wilson 
made at the same time. I think part of it, the level of recruiting Brian Hartline brings to the table. I think the other part of it, wide receiver, um, give or take, is a more important position than the tight end position. So there's two aspects to it. And number three, Brian Hartline had offers from everywhere, I'd assume, like like not over-the-table offers, but I'm sure his agent gets reached out to almost every single day with head coaching offers. And, yeah, I, I really do believe – that it makes sense that he's getting paid the money he is. And he's he's going to have a big opportunity to prove it. Um, it's been interesting hearing him, how he's translated uh, or transitioned. Sorry, not translated, but transitioned to the role of offensive coordinator. He's talked about having more reach. I'm excited to see offensive coordinator Brian Hartline. You know, I could personally say I was not the biggest fan of promoting from within. I never am. But I'm getting excited. I'm coming around on it. Yeah, I. Yeah, I don't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that I'm excited yet, but I do still understand why they did it. I, I guess. Okay, that's not true. I guess I'll say I'm excited to see it. You know, to see if there's any difference, um, to see if he runs more. Change is always like it's scary at first, but it's always a little exciting, um, and it gives us some things to like look forward to in the season. Some things that we don't know, but I, I'm still not. I've, and obviously, not that you said that, but like still not ready to know to say if it's the right call, anything like that. But I am gonna say I like what he said to, to the media so far. I like the minimal reviews that we've gotten. I I, I like that Ryan Day trust him enough already to give him a trial at play calling. So that's one of those other things where like he was probably much better in the room than people realized. And it, it is what it is. I mean, we wouldn't have known that. Now we do. Yeah. Or at least can assume it. Yeah, it's going to be, I, I, it's going to be fun. Like, you know, we've had Kevin Wilson for so long that it's really just kind of a, it, it's fresh. And that's like, nothing better than fresh, I guess. Uh. Like, fresh to an extent, but fresh nonetheless. Um, let's go rapid fire down the rest of them. Larry Johnson, um, $33,000 raise, uh, making $1.16 million as a position coach. That's I, if, you, if you were saying this 10 years ago that position coaches were going to be making over a million dollars, um, people would have gone absurd, insane on the internet. Over 10 years ago um – Ohio State coordinators didn't even make over a million dollars. Coordinators, yeah. Ryan Day was the first coordinator to make over a million dollars, wasn't he? So that was what six yeah, years ago. State. Six years ago, seven maybe. Yeah, that's, that is insane. Um, so Larry Johnson, you know, he got so I'm starting to see like a little bit of a pattern. You're always going to get that one raise, the three percent raise. Um, but I feel Larry Johnson got a big raise last year. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he did. I think they they probably so, alternated. I think all the small raises this year, like outside of Eliano, he's going to get a raise after with his new contract if he gets extended, which he, I'm assuming he will be, continuity's sake. But Corey Dennis got a huge raise last year. Uh, Perry Eliano got hired last year. Um, Justin Fry got a huge raise, but he got a new title. So, and I think with Justin Fry, you have to stave off offense coordinator interest and make it worth his while to stay as the offensive line coach. Especially um, since I'm excited you passed, over, you passed him up 
Yeah, yeah, and I am. Uh, I'm excited to see him with more run game responsibility. Um, I still feel like Brian Hartline is going to be more of a pass game coordinator in a sense. Um, obviously, calling the plays, he's going to have to be very involved with the run game. But I feel like from a design standpoint, a lot of that is going to go on to Justin Fry's play, which I'm excited for because you and me, we've both dived into. UCLA's offensive line playing their run schemes and stuff when Justin Fry got hired and they do some fun stuff. Yeah, absolutely. They do some fun stuff and he did some fun stuff at Boston College. He, he's very good um, with designing the run game and he's always he had successful. Yeah, he's always had successful running backs. Like, always had a thousand yard guys. Guys have their best season under him and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I'm excited. That's that's exciting for me, honestly. Um, but yeah, overall, it seems like the small raises were guys who got big raises last year, and the big raises were guys who didn't get uh, big raises last year or got promoted. So, um, Keaton Bailey's big raise promotion. Um, it all makes sense. It all makes sense. And then, um, Parker Fleming. You know, I know we always joked about. You know, Pete Golden kind of knowing where the bodies are buried. Um, And I know special teams coordinators tend to be involved with the most players on the team. Like, they probably communicate with the most players on a roster on a weekly basis. And I'm not not like a Parker Fleming hater by any means, but a $200,000 raise for, like, a mediumly good special teams unit. You know, like... For a stretch, we couldn't catch punts. For a stretch, when we threw chip training back there, we couldn't catch kickoffs. Um, We never choose to just have touchbacks, and sometimes that leads to some big returns. The only place I really think is good is whenever Emeka Ibuka returned kicks, it felt like we had a chance to take it to the house. Yeah, man, I don't get it. I really don't. I, like, you know, we, we literally just talked about how maybe uh, Tim Walton is doing more in the room than we realize. Uh, we just talked about how Brian Hartline was probably doing more than we realized, and so that led to his promotion to offensive coordinator and things like that. But you can't tell me that Parker Fleming is, is doing something, bro. Like, you can't. Like, it, it's not on the field. They're doing stupid things like dropping uh, clips of Marvin Harrison Jr. catching punts. They're not – like, and here's the thing. Like, I understand it's college and there's more people and it's a little bit more nerve-wracking and, and, that, and things like that. But every single wide receiver in the Ohio State room – caught punts in high school because they were the best athlete on the field and I've seen a decent amount of their tape. I know that they can do it. That's where you put the, like, unless you have, like, I don't even think a Mecca book is that good at it. So, like, he should probably, no, like, but, like, unless you just have a crazy, dynamic, older guy who you also don't really mind risk risk losing, give that job to one of the freshmen who... Xavier Johnson should be the punter returner. No, it should, it should be, in my opinion, he's not even that, like, he's an athlete, but he's not that good of an athlete. It I think be he's one got the, a punter returner. Like athleticism, yeah, but he doesn't have take it to the house athleticism. I think some yeah, of the he freshmen have do. The speed, and that's the thing. It, like they have that in the room, and I know that they've uh, done punch before. So one why of the we put Jaden Ballard back there. Um, 
Yeah, and it's just like it literally any, any of the, the freshman guys, any of the early enrollees, and you're not really gonna throw the ball to them that much. So make them catch a hundred, like a hundred, make them catch a hundred punts a day every yeah, spring practice and throughout the summer, and yeah. let them do it throughout the season. And even even if it's not those guys, you've got a guy on defense in Cam Martinez who literally had a highlight tape in high school that was 10 minutes long called touchdowns only. You don't think that guy can't do something returning punts? Yeah, geez. But no, we got to put Marvin Harrison Jr. back there. So we're already, we're already starting with it with Parker Fleming. Like, if they're like – and don't get me wrong. I think our kickoff team – in big games is one of the best. Like when the players on kickoff are like excited to run down, you know, when the lights are on and, you know, Xavier Johnson made a bunch of big plays. Taraja Mitchell's made a bunch of big plays, but it's when they play the bad teams. Like, and that's when, that's when raises are earned, you know, like, like that's where you have the sick kickoff down the sideline to Chris Olave. That's where you do that stuff. And, that's where I felt like Ohio State's special teams performances were the worst. Yeah, and I don't know, man. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. it. This feels like a joke. Like, it feels like they're trolling us. They're like, oh, you don't like Parker Fleming? Boom. Here's an extra $200,000. Just because we can. Like Just because Ryan we can. His cousin or something. <laughs> Ah uh, man, he. So give me his ancestry.com profile. Does it? Is there a couple bodies somewhere? Is, did, uh, did Ryan Day was Ryan Day also in the Urban Meyer uh, lounge? <laughs> like, yeah, where did Parker go to school? Uh, where, where? Like, I, let's dive into this. This is uh, this is one of those investigation shows. Now we're gonna do the private eye work in the park of living. Um. Like, don't get me wrong, I bet you, like, so he's from Atlanta, he went to Decatur High School, he went to Presbyterian, um, he's in his 11th year coaching, he's been at Ohio State for seven years, so, literally, if we break this down, that just, so he's a grad assistant, cool, um, and then he's been here the last, uh, four years, five years, so. I guess keep it in the family. Um, I always thought he like lean defense, but he was the wide receivers coach at James Madison. I, I guess we got to stave off everybody. So you just can't come and get an Ohio State coach. That's basically what Ryan Day's saying. You're really going to have to earn it. I mean, like, they could have taken him, though. Yeah, Perry Eliano could have got a raise. Special teams coordinator at multiple schools he coached at. Like I mean, I I would I, I mean I would just very much like that someone had taken him, uh, but they didn't. So it is what it is, I guess. Um, I'm just hoping that uh, James Laurinaitis does an amazing job, and Jim Knowles is like, oh man. I don't even want to coach linebackers no more because we have such a good linebackers coach. And then they get rid of Parker Fleming and they make him the 10th assistant as the linebackers coach. And they just give someone on staff the, you know, linebackers coach slash special teams coordinator or whoever you want to give a little bit of a raise to and then make a GA do it, which is fine. Like, yeah, yeah, that would, that would, that would do it for me. Um, That'd be all right. 
Yeah, so I, I think what's going to be interesting is what happens with that 10 assistant role. Because, you know what, I'm not even mad about it. Like, you know what, pay everybody as much as you can. Like, have a special teams coach. It just feels like it's a wasted coaching position when you don't see greater returns from paying a full-time special teams coach. Yeah, it was just like... I'm not against it not having one since they're specifically just not going to have, you know, a linebacker's coach because Jim Knowles doesn't want one. Like, I'm not against that, right? It's just that you should be providing value, and we're not seeing the value. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I think we could. We, we'll stop. We'll stop. We we'll, we'll, got to stop. We'll stop boring these guys. Let's get into what they really want. Um, I've got some. I've got some chicken nuggets here. Uh, from fall camp, um, remember those guys? That was that was a fun time. Um, but these ones are real because they're sourced and they came like directly from a press conference and they're not made up. Um, but where Chris and Jordan were right, the freshman wide receivers came in and are killing it, to say the least. Um, the truth is, they're going to get really pushed by this freshman group. Uh, when they're talking about the guys that are sophomores, um, the three guys that came in have already made an impact. We've been very impressed with them. And then Brandon coming in this summer. So this is going to be a really good opportunity with the Mecca out. Julian out. Uh, we're going to be smart with Xavier and Marvin. And those guys have played a lot of football. So what an unbelievable opportunity for all those guys to step in and play. And that's, that's straight from uh, the head coach's mouth here. So, Cardinal Tate, Noah Rogers, Bryson Rogers. Um, you know, I just I feel like this is a victory lap for us. We said that they're going to come in, and they're going to be studs immediately. So, um, I'm not I'm not surprised that Cardinal Tate or Noah Rogers. I think they just physically have it. Um, Bryson Rogers. You know, I think everyone kind of slept on him and his recruitment. So I'm excited to see him included in that conversation. But I feel like they're like hearing that they're already giving the older teammates a run for their money has me so excited for that group. And I think that, you know, we've had the Chris Lavi, Garrett Wilson, JSN team. We've had the we saw Marvin and Mecca and Julian have some success last year. And this year we're finally we're going to hopefully see them all healthy. Um, this group, this four. I think this is going to go crazy. I think they're going to absolutely be insane. And coming in and being this good already, I just really don't know how long they are held back. I don't think that you can hold them back. And it is no shade to the group above them, but just objectively, this group was better. They were more physically ready. They were more, they're more skilled in my uh, in my. Um, I don't know what I'm trying to say. There's more skilled in my belief. That is absolutely not the word I'm looking for. Like I said, I'm exhausted. I'm sorry if this if I'm not uh, potting too well right now. But um, they're more skilled, and in my opinion, um, they played a, a different level of talent. They went at two, at least two of them. Went Carnell Tate and Brandon Ennis went national um, against competition with the South Florida Express. Like it's just a different group through and through. And those guys last year were a good group. 
group, right? They were good enough to get to Ohio they State, but they were also small. They were also like class. one, like that was just, it's just overall last year's group wasn't that good. I think if you stacked, and I'm, I'm not the recruiting expert, but I think if you went one through 10 in both classes for a total of 20, one through 10 in both classes, I think at least six or seven, maybe of the top 10 wide receivers, this class would be in the top 10 overall. So like if you're following me, I'm saying you take the top 10 from 2022, take the top 10 from 2021, you rank them one through 20. I think six or seven of them are coming from this 2022 or 2023 class. Yeah. I, I just think that class I, was better at wide receiver overall. I think Bryson Rogers is close to the top receiver in the class prior to this one, if I'm being completely honest. So I, I don't know. I think the one that I've heard, I, I've read the most about, I've heard the most about is Noah Rogers. Um, he came in and, He's dominating, apparently. So and he, that's what I like to hear. He's the biggest one, right? Noah Rogers is the one that's 6209 yeah. or something I, like I that. Of the three on campus, he's the biggest. I think Brandon Innes is bigger. But, I mean, it's like, it's probably not like a Julian Fleming versus um, Caleb Burden type gap on biggest and smallest there. I don't think Brandon Ennis is that big. I think Brandon Ennis is like 5'11". I think no, Carno, I'm Carno, sure. Car- Yeah, he is. He's 5'11". Carnell Tate and uh, Noah, Noah Rogers were the were the tall ones. They were the six-foot guys. Brandon gotcha. Ennis is the shortest one. But he he's 5'11 and 198 pounds. He's stocky. But like, yeah, he's Yeah, not, that's his... Uh, that's his way in at the what's he called the Army All American game. It's yeah. not the Army All American. So like game he might anymore, get but... it on the roster and be like six foot two oh five or something like that. But yeah, he's yeah. he's definitely not the biggest one. Yeah, Cardinal Tate's the lengthiest one. Um, he's what, I think six, Noah Rogers, three, six four. Yeah, if you build them, I think Brandon Innes is the Z, uh, Carnell Tate's the X, Noah Rogers probably going to do the Emeka Ibuka thing where he's just going to play whichever one he ends up at and be the. Yeah, I don't know. I'm excited, though. I, I think that was the story I needed to see. Um, worst comes to worst, these guys just push the second years and those guys become even more elite receivers and end up playing good basketball, right? Or not basketball, sorry. Heads in March Madness. Good football. Worst comes to worst, you have a talented group that could overtake them and be ready to go next year when Marvin's gone and Mecca's gone and Julian's probably gone. Yeah, uh, Julian. Yeah, Julian's definitely gone uh, because he is either going to have a great year, which is what I'm betting on, well, relative, and go to the league, or he's going to get passed by a freshman and transfer, which is unlikely. If we're being honest, that's unlikely. I'm just throwing like hot takes out there now, but Julian is. Um, I will say this, and this is not a hot take. Julian's not fifty catch guy. Yeah, uh, this is not a hot take. Julian is not going to be able to have a stretch like he had at the end of last year and not get replaced. I think the wide receiver room is going to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think he's going to be a fifty catch, like seven hundred fifty yard guy. But if he has any stretches like that, guys like Jaden Ballard, guys like. 
uh, Cardinal Tate, Noah Rogers, they're going to be chomping at the bit to get on the field and show what they can do. So I think that really works. Um, and, and on top of it, like looking at Julian Fleming, like he's going to have, he's having his first spring where he's not coming in with any nicks, any injuries, you know, we're going to knock on wood again on this show, but it's absolutely a huge opportunity for him. You know, I don't think people recognize how hard it is to do what he did, you know, not practicing, you know, coming off of surgery, getting ready to go in the fall. Like it shows an incredible commitment. And also it shows that he has a lot to give if he has, if he's on the field, he has a lot to give if he's on the field. Yeah, for sure. And it's unfortunate, but he was always going to take some time coming from the offense that he came from. The injuries absolutely didn't help. I think he explodes this year relatively because we have a really good wide receiver. We have two really good wide receivers. But I, I think it could very easily be like two years ago where we have two guys well over a thousand and one guy in that eight, nine hundred realm. If there's no injuries, we may finally get three guys over a thousand. And we would have if Chris Olave didn't sit out. Well, two games technically because he missed one and then he sat out the bowl game. But like this could definitely be a three guys over a thousand. Uh, so, here's hoping, right? But like you said, it is very, very good sign that he is healthy. Um, and so, we love that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another place where there's going to be some depth questions this year. Um, I really enjoyed this piece by Dan Hope talking about the linebacker situation. C.J. Hicks, Gabe Powers, and Reed Carrico trusting the process despite lack of playing time so far. Um, I think that's a huge... A thing. It's really easy to trust the process your first year. I think year two, you probably want to see the field a little bit more. Um, but I think both, or I guess not both, all three of these guys kind of understand the idea that, you know, it's hard to get on the field when you've got Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers in front of you. Um, they're just physically more mature. It, and you and I both know linebacker is not a position you can't play when you're not physically prepared for it. Um I think uh, they're trying Carrico out at the Sam position in 12 personnel, and you're looking for him. Also, like Gabe and CJ, just show that they have to be on the field to show the maturity. That's what Jim Knowles said. So I'm intrigued by this group. Um, I, I think this is something that we also kind of alluded to last week on our show is like, you know, the goal for them should be to make the most of their opportunities when they get on the field and make Jim Knowles feel like he can rotate out Tommy Eichenberg. He can rotate out Seal Chambers on occasion when the game is out, like not completely out of hand, but play some meaningful snaps. And I think that is the process. Um, CJ and Gabe have a little bit more time. Reed's getting a little older. So I do think for roster management purposes, if you like to think that way, you probably have to find a couple more roles to keep Reed engaged with being a Buckeye. You know, he's from Ironton, so I don't think there's going to be much issue with that as long as he sees the field a little bit more. But how are you feeling? You're the linebacker expert. You think this is um, something we're going to be talking about a little bit more during the season? You know, do we feel like uh, – I know we said last week, like it feels good that, you know – um, these five stars don't have to come in and play immediately because that shows the roster is good enough right now. Yeah, so um, I am feeling better and better about 
um, the linebacker rotation um, and that it's going to be a rotation. I still, and which is why I brought it in, brought it up last week. I still don't think we see that much CJ unless he plays Jack. Um, they're not being mean about it, but even he's kind of hinted at it and things like that. I just don't think mentally he's there as far as what they need to do in the defense, and that's totally fine. Like, that is not a bad thing at all, and I'm going to keep saying that because I feel like someone's going to twist my words if I don't. So I do think that um, Cody Simon, Steel Chambers, and um, Tommy Eichenberg are going to be the three. I think they're going to rotate a little bit more. I think it's going to be good. I think we're going to have one of the best linebacker rooms in the country. For me, the biggest thing and the most important thing is getting the other guys even if it's even if it's not against good competition, to me that doesn't matter. They need to play enough snaps that they feel ready to stick because all of those guys are gone. Yeah. Like maybe Simon stays for another year so he can be the number one, and that may be worth it. I, I can kind of see that maybe, but they're, they're going to – like they're not needed this year. They're just not. You have three guys for two positions. It is what it is. Next year, they're going to have to be ready. So I feel good about where they're at. I feel good about Simon because of how they're talking about them and the thing that they're saying and the fact that – he did get better, and in his interviews, he has mentioned personally some of the issues that I had with his game on things that he needs to improve of, so he knows what he needs to improve of. I just – and I'm very – like, I I predicted, and it was very – like, I hate saying I predicted things because some of the things I say I feel like should be common sense, and they're just not, and maybe they're yeah. not common sense. But Gabe Powers is moving to Mike, which is just is the only thing that made sense in the room. He's the size of a mic. He moves like a mic. He's a mic. Yes. So I think that is good. Um, for me, I, I don't care. I don't need to see CJ Hicks play a lot. I don't need to see Gabe Powers play a lot, any of that kind of stuff. I think we have one of the best linebacker rooms in the country. What they what they need to do is Brian Hartline's offense needs to put up 40 on a bunch of these teams by half so that they can play and just get some experience. And whether it looks good or bad, you grow off experience. But as far as them playing in meaningful games when we're inevitably only up six points against Penn State in the fourth quarter, they're not going to – like, we're not seeing CJ. Unless it's literally just like a rest of, a rest of, rest of passer kind of situation. We're not seeing CJ. We're not seeing Gabe. We're not seeing um, Reed Carrico. And that's fun. Um the thing that's good, though, and you mentioned Reed, he's slightly older. I think this is his third year in the program. The rotation is still better than it's been because previously you had to be four years in the program damn near to play, and that's why all of those yes. older guys transferred. So third year at linebacker is fine. There's going to be a couple, like at least one of them is probably going to be a second year starter next year. I think the rotation is getting back into a good place, but – I mean, it's not as bad as offensive line, but unless you're just like a crazy, just see ball, get ball athlete, linebacker is similar to offensive line, and like you probably shouldn't see the field until your third year. I'm, I think we're good. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe more. Like, unless you're the kid from LSU, like it's very rare to come in and but even be good. And even him, he came in to LSU, which was bad. Like I don't think they wanted a true freshman to be playing. But but even still, if we're going to critique his game, and I apologize for people who don't care about linebackers, he didn't play linebacker last year. 
he largely played spy, which is literally Seaball Gitball. Yeah, he did C-ball, not C-ball. stand back there for majority of his snaps, read his keys, flow to the ball, make plays, fight off blocks, that kind of stuff. Most of what he did was he took two steps up and he just hopped and kept his foot moving. And as soon as the guy tried to like sprint out or anything like that, he made a play. Or if like you know when they threw the ball, he'd make a play. And that is no shade to him. But if we're talking about really being a linebacker, he wasn't that. And so, but that yeah. but that is what CJ Hicks could do if we needed it, and we don't. If you just needed an athlete on the field, he could do that. But he's not ready to play linebacker. And it's just similar mm-hmm. to the semantics of the Leo versus the Jack. Like what was it? It was like we're gonna call it Leo until it becomes a Jack or whatever the hell it is. No, Jack, other way around. Jack until still. it becomes a Leo. I just feel like they just stopped calling it Leo. Like <laughs> it's just everyone just saying yeah. Jack now. But regardless, um, yeah, I, I, he can, he can be on the field, but he's not playing linebacker. And the guy from LSU didn't play linebacker. He played athlete. And that's fine because yeah. it worked for him. That is no that. shade. But if we're, you know, you got me talking about linebackers. If we're going to be exact, I'm going to tell you that is not the position that he was playing. And that is why CJ is no, not on the field either right now. Yeah, 100%. Um, I, I will say, I, I think, I do think, and I, I don't have the eligibility pulled up, but with Reed being a year older, I think he snuck his way into an extra COVID year as well. So they basically all have the same amount of eligibility left. I will pull that up, but I am fairly, fairly positive that you are correct. Um, and the last thing on Reed, uh, because I, most people assume oldest guy going to transfer. Um, this was funny. Someone actually asked him about it. Good on this reporter for like having the stones to actually ask this question. Uh, somebody will text me like, hey, man, heard that you were going to transfer, you know, message, message board fodder. You know, we all we've all seen it. And then he'd say, well, where in the world did you hear that from? Because I haven't even really given it a thought. Haven't even really given it a thought, which means that thought's popped up. Uh, but he says, I take pride in being a great teammate who's 100% all in. So um, unless he stops wanting to be – I'm not going to say that joke because that would give people the wrong idea. But I was going to say, unless he wants to stop being a great teammate, he'll be an Ohio State Buckeye. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Also, like, I'm, I'm not going to – I don't know how Reed actually fits in the room. I think he's the least athletic of the room. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, Gabe and CJ are cut from very similar – Class where they did everything on the team for their field. I'm pretty sure Reed also played running back and stuff as well. So, but it was at Arlington. It, it was a day. He played running back like Patrick Willis played running back. He played running back, but like he wasn't playing like you know our running backs play running back. Yeah, Peyton Hills. Yeah. What did I say, Patrick Willis? That's a linebacker. That's my favorite yeah, linebacker of all time. Can play running back. Yeah, Patrick Willis is my favorite linebacker of all time. If you cared, I meant Peyton Hillis. Is that his name? The Browns yeah. running back? Yeah. yeah, the Browns guy. So Reed has three years. CJ has three. Mitchell Melton has three. Tommy has two. Steele has two. They're not going to use that. Gabe Parrish right, has it. four. And Arvell Reese has four. So, Arvell Reese will have, like, if he chooses to redshirt this year, we'll have four next year. Which he, he's going to redshirt. I mean, like, they're not. He's so. not going to touch the field. There's too many people in the room. So, Yeah. Yeah, and so I think what we've covered, the coaches paid, um, 
the linebacker conversation uh, from them seeing the media. So that's good. We got we got a lot done today. Um, and we'll see you guys next week. Just kidding. We're going to break. We still got a lot to talk about. Um, we've got Jim Knowles talking about the defensive backs. We've got the madness that is marching. And we've got we got to see the pros. we got to see Ohio State Buckeyes. Um, before we get a break, Zeke, not a cowboy anymore. Um, I'll take him in Cleveland for the right price. I know. Yeah, which is cheap. <laughs> because he's probably still getting paid for the Cowboys. Yeah, so um, there's that. But yeah, we'll see you guys after the ads. Welcome back in, everybody. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, bringing you another episode of the Buck Off Podcast on the Lane Grant Podcast Network. Where you're talking freshman receivers, we're talking linebackers, we're talking coaches getting raises. Um, I, I think it's an interesting dynamic. Um, you know, I think college football, when it comes to recruiting, I think that's my favorite part about it is you'll have the recruiting fans, right? The fans who follow every single step of recruiting, and they'll wonder why, like, once a guy gets to Ohio State, why they don't, like, play immediately. And for, like, most people, the people who cover recruiting, they move on to the next one because it's their job, and I think they understand the concept that, hey, these guys that were recruited before you were also good high school football players. And I feel like sometimes, like, even when I'm getting excited about a recruit, I'll, I'll forget him a little bit. And then every once in a while, Sonny Styles will come by and you'll be like, all right, well, this guy is who every recruiting fan thinks a recruit's going to be, and this guy actually does it. Yeah, but also I think that one thing that people forget because they're fans and you're allowed to forget it because you're a fan and you're not making the money that we just talked about earlier is that most of the players that come to Ohio State come with the understanding that they're not going to play early. Same with most of the people that come to Bama and things like that, which is why they are selective on who they take and things like that. Like Nick Saban has said it, not every five star is going to be able to come to Alabama and different things like that. So we get excited because we're fans and it's fun and that's what you do as fans and and the future is always brighter and things like that. But the majority of these players know what's going on and that is why you don't typically get a lot of tra- like Ohio State. Realistically, Ohio State does not have a lot of players transfer. We had one year where we had a lot of players transfer, and they were all a bunch of shitty linebackers. And I'm just gonna say they were shitty because they were. Like no matter they how were, much you all, people wanted them to play, they were not gonna play here. And their linebacker coach was even worse. And if we had a good linebackers coach, some of them probably wouldn't have been recruited here. So. Outside of that, it's been bits and pieces. It's Quinn Ewers here. It's a guy wanting to go back home to Texas there. It hasn't been this mass thing, and I think it's because they do a good job of being honest. People have said that as much as you can because these coaches are liars. Everyone lies a little bit in recruiting. Yeah. But they like uh, these players and parents have said like they typically do a good job of like – not promising that you're going to start and talking about that you have to work and and things like that. And so, but also they do good, do a good job of getting you on the field in limited roles. So you feel like you're involved. Like Ohio state also still doesn't redshirt the majority of its class. So it's just like, I think that the players have a good understanding of what's going on. And I think it's because the, staff when they recruit they're recruiting 
they're recruiting the development and not the access to the field. They're recruiting that, hey, when you get on the field, you're going to be good and the NFL is not is going to want you and not that you're going to get on the field immediately. Yeah, absolutely. I know I'm with you 100%. Um, It is one of those things, too, um, like – and I'm just talking about it because we were talking about the freshman receivers coming in. Like, every once in a while, we have a class where a bunch of guys come in. Like, we know what will happen if those guys overtake the guys who are a year older than them. Like, it's natural in that way. Um, so, I do think, really, it's just, like, recruiting's changed a lot. And I do think – where was I going to go with this? Mark Pantoni, he's talked about it quite a bit. Like – this is a new strategy. You have to be on a new strategy. And, like, look at Miami had a max, mass exodus. Alabama recently had a mass exodus. Um, back-to-back years, Alabama's had mass exoduses. Uh, exodus, I, I don't know. I'm just kidding. But uh, Texas a mass exodus. Like, these schools that have put so much in NIL, put so much to, like, play time, put so much on to, like, the hard sell, you know, to get these signatures – it's not working out for them. And I think that's why it's it's awesome to see these stories where, you know, these guys are getting pushed by these guys. These guys are trusting the process. These guys are still excited to be Buckeyes, even though, like, they might not see the field as much as they were expecting. Because I think, you know, anytime you enter a new situation, your expectations are always at an all-time high. And reality tends to be a little bit different. Um, so it's been I think that's where I wanted to take that conversation it's really nice to see guys who probably won't see much of the field still excited about the process yeah and that's why I thought it was funny when they said like Amari Abel or somebody was going to transfer because of something he put on social media or whatever and it's like um, there's no, unless he's delusional, which he doesn't seem to be, there is no way in hell Damari, oh, oh, I don't know where Damari came from, Omari Abor signed up and said, hmm, they have JT, they have Jack, they have Zach, they have Tyler Friday, they have Javante John Baptiste, they have all these guys, and yeah, I'm going to play as a freshman. Like, he wouldn't have thought yeah. that unless he was delusional. He knew what was going on. And if he did, yeah, and I think that's that's also something I need. I think we don't give enough credit to some of these players when they first get here, and like, like, I mean, I I cannot painting that as us. Like, I'm just saying as a collective, as like Ohio people around Ohio State's program. Like, I you don't give them enough credit. Everything's like, oh, this guy didn't play as a freshman; he's going to transfer. And I think that's like the way college football fans are now wired, and that sucks, man. Yeah, and it's funny because like I. I use, like, fighting tooth and nail and toe-to-toe. Like, I'm obviously exaggerating. It was never that heated. But I've had to defend Kyle McCord so many times and other people. I'm like, he is not going to transfer. I get that other quarterbacks are transferring, but he's not going to transfer. And if you think about it, when is the last time a quarterback who legitimately had a chance to start here transferred? They don't. They don't transfer from here. They sit and they wait their turn. They only transfer when they lose the job. Joe Burrow. When they lose the job and they're old. And and they're old. Or they just never really had a chance. Like we had, you know, like like Jack Miller got passed up by Kyle McCord. That's the only reason he transferred. Yeah, if he didn't get 
uh, in trouble with the law and he didn't get passed by Kyle McCord, he would um, still be. He might have been competing for the job right now. And so it's like like transfers don't happen out of this program often because I think that they do a good job. And and the thing that I think we're missing, most importantly, the weight is worth it. Like the benefit of waiting is worth it because yeah. I mean how many they see their buddies go to the league and they're like that's I'm next I got put in the work but if I do put in that work I would be in that position that they're in this year yep and obviously like we've been talking very glowingly of Ohio State obviously Ohio State is not perfect as in we haven't won you know for the last two years but still it is true in that um, there are good things happening in this program for a reason yeah, absolutely. And I think we're finally really starting to uh, see this program being executed in Ryan Day's vision, right? Like, I feel like there was a lot of turnover. There was a lot of like, hey, I'm Ryan Day, but I still owe these Urban Meyer guys, like guys I coached with, an opportunity to be coaches here. You know, I think he really um, – I think he learned a lot from the Kerry Combs hire, and he has – I think he's taken a lot of steps in remolding the program to his vision, uh, working with Mark Pantone to set up a recruiting plan that's going to work. And I think, you know, we've talked about how the defensive side's been lacking a little bit. Uh, I think the next few years, the Midwest has some guys in it that are really good defensive players. And, you know, I think we're going to see an increase on the defensive recruiting side while maintaining the offensive side with this staff. So I, mean, I, I think there's a lot to be excited about. Yeah, we've definitely seen a slight increase. Um, the thing that we're missing is just – I mean, I can't even say that we're missing it because, I mean, they were both in Ohio, but we did get them. But I think the thing that we're missing that we maybe used to get is that top – we've never gotten the number one corner, but that, like, top three or four corner hasn't come in a long time. Yeah, it but, has been a while. Um, I, I, may, I mean, I'm not saying that you're putting this on the record, but the faith that you seem to have a little bit in Tim Walton makes you think that there's a chance that we, you know, even get better in that room because that has been our weak link. And I think, you know, Calvin Simpson and things like that was a good sign of what's to come. Yeah, and also, like, identifying Jermaine Matthews that early, giving him the – well, it wasn't really early, you know what I mean, but, like, before the rest of the country caught on to Jermaine Matthews, like, that was a pretty good – like, hey, I saw this kid at the camp, Ryan Day, I want to offer him. Yeah. All right, go for it, Tim Walton. And now he, he ended up being, like, a top 50 recruit on on three, which is when it's for Ohio State, my favorite recruiting site. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no let's get there. to it. Let's – Let's get to the DB transfers. Um, not messing around, as Jim Knowles said. Um, I was ready to be impressed by Davison Igbinosin, right? Anything they were going to say positive out, I was ready to just latch on to, be like All-American corner coming in, Ohio State. They're going to take him to the next level. Shout out to Ole Miss for being our farm system, our minor league team, and giving us this guy. Um, but now I'm legitimately excited because I don't even think – and this might be a hot take because we don't even really know much. It's been like seven practices or six days or whatever, however many days it's been. Um, uh, Davison Higbinosin uh, looks the part. 
Um, he looks like a number one corner. That's all I got to say. Uh, I'm not going to me down. I'm not going to toot my own horn here. Torn here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Get me off this podcast. Uh, I'm not going to toot my own horn here, but I did have him as CB1 on my thing. So when I predicted the roster. Yeah, I, I think they have uh, the picture on the headline. It's it's whoever is 11 Warriors is picture guy. Um, they did Davis in a very – the dude looks jacked, honestly. Like, I, Ohio State doesn't have a corner that looks like him. Um, and that's saying some because Denzel Burke looks like he hit the weight room hard this offseason. Uh, Jordan Hancock came in like he was ready to start in the NFL from, like, just, you know, walk off the bus look, right? But Davidson looks, like, even more like uh, number one corner than either of those two. Yeah, and I that's not no hate, no shame. Like I just like it, it's just what it looks like. Absolutely, but I, I'm very excited for him. Uh, very, he, very excited. He, he is the player I'm most excited to see at the spring game. I'm it, for me, it's just like it doesn't matter, man. Like put him out there, give him all Big Ten yeah. honors. Like I'm ready to go. So like. I'm ready to. I'm I'm ready to get hurt again. That's what it is. I'm ready to get hurt again. Yeah, I really. Uh, Jim Knowles used Jersey toughness. You know, coming from a Philly guy, that is that's high regard for this corner. Um, he's got experience in the SEC. Jim Knowles said played a lot of football. Words I like to hear. Um, and picking things up, but really just breaking on the ball. You know, one of the things that I think will like give Ohio State fans nightmares for the next few years until they truly see some great cornerback play again is just the lateness on the breaks, getting out of breaks, getting to receivers when they run those 10-yard outs or 10-yard curls. You know, like why are they always so far off the ball? And it's because they're getting out of there so they don't get beat. Um, Having a corner with confidence who believes – that when he breaks on the ball, he's taking it to the house. That's the feeling I'm getting from Davison, and he's a, I'm I'm going first name on this guy because that's how in on him I am. Listen, I'm, I'm what I'm hearing is uh, I don't have a catchy name for it, but I'm hearing that we have another uh, Tommy Train situation going on. Um, that's what. Davidson Derby? Derby? Davidson Derby? No, that doesn't sound good. Yeah, I think we got to go with uh, uh, Davidson. uh, Is there anything good with I? Maybe an airplane or something? We're going to come up with it. We'll we'll get there. Davidson Igby knows him. It's already there. It's too natural. Yeah, I mean, that that is (laughs) just like. That's gonna that be it, to right? it. But that's not. But that's not. You know. That's not the train. That's just like a. Yeah, that's not, he had yeah, a that's not the journey we're about to take. Yeah. Is there anything good? <clears throat> um. But yeah, I think when you hear a head coach and a defense coordinator talk this highly of a player who's been there for four days, um, get excited. Get excited because yeah. we know Ryan Day and Jim Knowles are both not guys to just give out praise. You have yeah. to earn the praise. And um, Jim Knowles specifically, every guy that he has praised has backed it up. It's yeah. only been a year, yeah. but everyone that he said some things about is like, we saw it. 
Yeah, every single player last year who had a pivotal role on the defense and was a part of the turnaround. And it, it regardless of how it ended, it still was a significant turnaround. I mean, huge. Um, so, like, it's been four days. Day and Knowles, two of the guys who hold praise. That's why Davison's in the Tommy Club, first name. That's why Davison's in the CJ Club, first name. You know, you just go down the list of get Travion Henderson, Trey. We call him Trey on this show because guess what? We know they're going to be good. We're going to keep it relaxed with them because they show it. They're going to be guys. And you'll know we're on it. We were right about Tommy. We were right about a lot of players last year. And it's because we listen to what the coaches are saying. And we know ball. I mean, we know football. And we don't know. You know we, we, we know a thing or two here there. But, yeah, and then also there's a lot of positives about Jahan Carter as well, just his intensity. Um, he had a lot of those leadership ones, you know, but, like, I feel like that's a reason you bring in a guy like that at the nickel position. Yeah. I, I Yeah. I don't care, man. Honestly, I don't care. I'm ready for them to recruit the nickel position and not keep getting transfers. But Jahai Carter balled at Syracuse. So, like, I'm on the train. If they're talking about him, if they're talking about him, it's going to be a good thing. So. Yeah. And he's got a high – like, don't get me wrong, I think Tanner McAllister was important to the defense last year, but Jahai Carter's ceiling is much higher. I would – I think I would agree with that as well. Because one was all ACC and one was – a, a coach oh, we'll your starter yeah. at a program. Yeah. A coach's guy. So one was voted as one of the better players in the conference, and one was respected by the coach who needed a player for the role. And also Two, was like a you know a seventh year guy who didn't have prospects and needed another year to to get better. Yep. Yep. Also that. So yeah, I, I'm excited for the DBs. You know, uh, me and Jordan trying to hold in our excitement. Quite a bit, but sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard. We try to be the voice of reason as much as we can. But I'm not. I'm not. I want to see great corner playing. Denzel Davison, Jordan Hancock. That sounds good on paper. That sounds really good on paper. Just need to see it. Just need to see it. He needs to uh, show that he is worth that uh, two hundred thousand. You know, let's let's go deeper on the paper. Jair Brown, um, Ryan Turner, both played last year. Calvin Simpson Hunt, Jermaine Matthews, both top 100 recruits at the end of the day. This room got a lot better. It did. That's where we live now. That's where we live. And as long as the, uh, as we say, as long as the injury bug stays away, there's a lot yeah, to be thankful honestly, for. I don't, want to jump to like, I don't want to jump to anything, but I think the universe owes us at least one year. Like after please? that last year, <laughs> like like at least one year. Um, all right. Outside of that, the madness is marching. I'm I'm having a lot of fun. You know, I think um, it's it's just been a great time. You know, legal sports betting, March Madness. Um. Didn't realize it would be this intense. Didn't realize it would be this fun. But upsets Furman. Uh, can you name where Furman University is as a man in higher education? 
give me a hint. Is it north or south? South. Louisiana. Kind of close. South Carolina. Interesting. I know either. Interesting. Yeah. Greenville, South Carolina. Interesting. Um, I think I'm obviously Princeton's in New Jersey. Are we going to have another New Jersey team? 15 seed make a huge run? That's a big question people are asking. Can Princeton repeat what St. Peter's did? I don't know. I don't know. And this was something I looked up. So last year, St. Peter's made that magical run, right? Um, Let me pull up the numbers just so I have them right. Um, I'm pulling them up. Sorry, bad podcasting, bad podcasting, because I wanted to talk about it. I thought I'd have the numbers memorized. Um, so, all right. So, the endowments. St. Peter's University's endowment is $37 million, right? To the Elite Eight, I believe, was what they went. Um, Princeton's endowment. It's also 37 as of 2021. It's $37 billion. Oh, Jesus. Both schools in New Jersey. Um... Let's see how far apart they are, because um, that is a lot of zeros after Princeton's. Um, so from Princeton to New Brunswick, thirty-two minutes apart. One's thirty-seven billion. One is thirty-seven million. That is crazy when you think about it. It's uh, it's unthinkable. <laughs> like <laughs> they might they might have the same phone area code. That man, it's that's crazy. Uh, but I will say, that's I like, don't think they're gonna make the run. Yeah, I don't think they're gonna make as long a run. But I I will say that's like kind of the fun part. Like I was like, man, these Princeton, these guys are underdogs, and I'm like, are they really though? Like, outside of, like, being an Ivy League basketball team, you know, like, the scholarship issue that Ivy League has is does make it tough. But, like, I don't think Princeton's at many disadvantages uh, besides, in the grand scheme of things. Besides the fact that they probably just don't care. Yeah. Snobs. Yeah, and then you've got St. Peter's where you could walk from one end to the campus to the other in ten minutes. And that's if you get the cross light. If you do get the cross light, it's like eight minutes. Yeah, very, very big difference. But I mean, it's still uh, very interesting. Very cool. 15 seed, I think, for like the third or fourth year in a row that a 15 yeah. seed has won, which is just nuts. Like, that's, you know, like we always get a 12 seed upset, right? Like, we can typically project uh, an 11, you know? But to get yeah, 15, yeah. three or four years in a row, that's crazy. It is crazy. And, you know, I, I don't usually like to brag about my, my wagers. You know, it's up and down. Everyone knows it. You know, you're never going to be perfect. But I, I, I money line bet Furman. All right, I did. okay. All right, so that means I picked them to win outright, and I gave up on the game. I'll be honest, I turned it off. But guess where I ended up with money in my pocket? Double the unit. Hey, so I'm timed up. 
That's what matters, right? You got that money. I have not, on the other hand, taken a bet since I lost my free bets. So, yeah, Uh, bet three sixty five. Sorry, DraftKings, our uh, SB Nation official betting partner. Bet three sixty five. You sign up, you bet like five dollars, you get three hundred sixty five dollars in free play. Well, I don't want to do that until football season comes around because that's the sport I make money on. So, because I understand football, Uh, I feel like betting on basketball is like. uh, it's really just, just throwing money out there and hoping for the best. I was literally looking yeah, at like see. what you can bet on for basketball, and I was just like, I don't like any of this. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's vicious. Um, but we're here for winners. Um, if you guys got any winners that you're excited about, make sure you, you tag me on Twitter, and I'll, I'll let you know if I get get in that bet with you. Northwestern, about to cash it. 25 seconds. This is called being on fire. It's been a while. It's been a while. I'm going to be uncontrollable if Friday goes as well as today. Uncontrollable. <laughs> and that's why this madness is March. Because if anyone saw my betting accounts before March started and saw them now, you'd be. No one would have listened to me. That's, that's, that's sports betting. Um, but yeah, what else we got to talk about today? Um. Ohio State free agency. Uh, I think, I, yeah, that's, I, I feel like it's pretty natural. We don't have much else to talk about. Um, so let's go through the list. Uh, shout out to Buckeyes Wire USA Today, having all the players who are free agents being tracked. Um, we're just going to go down the list, talk about them, uh, see where they stand. Um, Eli Apple, quarterback, Bengals, currently unsigned. Um, I will. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna be honest. This might be harsh, but if you're a replacement level cornerback who's been okay, right? He hasn't been a bad corner. Hasn't been a great corner. A replaceable corner. You can't tweet like he does, hmm. and expect to get signed. I'm just being honest. He has confidence. That is something. I would I, I'd go on a limb and say Eli Apple's a bit of a front runner. I don't see him tweet like this one. This teams aren't playing too well. Yeah. What can you do, right? It's not like you uh, could just not tweet crazy things. I just feel like you yeah. get stuck in a box. He has to do it. You know, if if me or you tweet something crazy, like you know, whatever, we're podcasters. Um, but when an NFL player does it. You've got to be a little bit better than journeyman. That should not be your description when you're in an article about being a free agent. I think that is a fair. Uh, I think that's a fair stance to take, but especially when, like you know, you're going to see these people on Sunday, and they're going to see your tweets, and will remember them, <laughs> and then you have to guard them. Yeah. Crazy. You wouldn't think. Uh, do that crazy, but never, you know, you got to be a little, you got to be wired a little different to play corner. Um, moving on, former Ohio State captain Von Bell, one of the best safeties in Ohio, at Ohio State in like the last two decades. Um, three years, $22.5 million with the Panthers. So they're going to have Von Bell, they're going to have CJ Stroud. You know, I think Carolina knows what they're doing a little bit. They're like, you all. Come to the Carolinas vacation here. Why don't you um, uh, start being a little bit more of a fan? We're going to get your Buckeyes here. 
Uh, I will not be a fan, but North Carolina, well, Charlotte specifically, is one of my favorite places to travel. So they may catch me at a game, but I will not be a fan. But, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of anyone. Well, that's a misnomer. I sort of support anyone that has a lot of Buckeyes. Uh, we call them the New, the, uh, New Orleans Saints for a reason. So are we getting the Charlotte Buckeyes? We might be. Might be. You're hearing a new it. NFC South team for us to all lightly root for when our team's not playing. You're hearing it more and more. Um, but yeah, 13 million guaranteed. Good for him. I think he's really carved out a solid career. Um, I, I just think at the end of the day, I, I like most people would trade their careers for Von Bell's if they could. I mean, what is it? Year six, eight, whatever it is. Yeah, it's been a while. It's it's above average. That's for sure. He's been a solid player for the Saints and the Bengals. I was hoping the Browns might take a run at him, but I, I think at twenty-two and a half million was a little too rich for their blood. So, um, you know what? Take the money while you can get it. Um, next on the list, we got Noah Brown um, signing with the Texans, one year, like two million dollars. The fact he's got the uh, tenure uh, or whatever, not the tenure, whatever. Yeah, he's. Played the league minimum to get the, uh, the payments for the rest of his life. Yeah, the, the retirement. That's not what it's called, but yeah. yeah. It's essentially what it is. Yeah, there's a word for it. The I can't think of the word. Like, pension. The pension. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, So that's good. And he's still making money. He's still getting paid to play football. Like, I, I just think, you know, at the end of the day, um, that's really all you can ask for. He doesn't have to move that far. He's moved from Dallas to Houston. You know, it's still pretty far. It's like 200 something miles, but could be worse. Could be worse for the guy. You know, I, I like Noah Brown. You know, he bet on himself. He left a year earlier than people thought he should. Um, could he have been a better player in the NFL? We don't know. We don't know the answer. And he's made a long career for himself. And that's that's what matters. He's he's collecting a paycheck. He's gonna collect a pension. That is a successful career. Uh, next on the list, we've got your guy, uh, Paris Campbell, also invited on the show. We'll see if he accepts anytime soon. Um, but he's going to the New York Giants, one year, six point seven. Every time he's on the field, whether it's preseason, whether it's in the season, he does awesome stuff, right? It's just the staying on the field with him. Um, so that's why it's a one-year deal. I feel like his talent is worth more than one year, but the availability is not. This hurts my heart. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jeez. He, <clears throat> I think he's going to have a 1,000 yards. So it hurts my soul. I think this is the one. He got his confidence back. He uh, stayed healthy for a whole season, made some big plays. I, I think that this is the year and uh, kind of hurt. Kind of hurt that it wasn't us. Six million, that's not, that's not too heavy. Uh, but yeah, you guys going. The Colts, you know, they didn't they didn't trade up. They sat up pat. Now they don't get to pick their quarterback. It doesn't matter. I'm a Bears fan. Yeah. This is the Bears podcast. Bear down. All right, Pat Elfline Center, um, 
been injured recently, released by the Packers. Started six games last season per this article from USA Today. Uh, I think he'll sign. I think he'll get a camp invite. But once again, another guy just battled injuries, needs to see the field a little bit before a team can commit to him. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, always wishing the best for all of our former guys, you know? So. Yeah, absolutely. There's honestly a lot more guys than I thought. Uh, Zeke, we kind of talked about him heading into the break. Um, You know, he got paid a lot of money. I saw a lot of Cowboy fans bitter about the time he held out um, during his rookie contract to get the pay that he got. And to be honest, when you're the best running back in the league three out of your first four years, you need to be paid like it because guess what? Once the body starts giving in because of the physicality of the position, they're going to throw you to the side. So I I thought I got a little frustrated with Cowboys fans being mad at Zeke today. Um, I do think he made the right choice holding out and getting paid as much money as he can. And now his family's taken care of. Yeah. And that's, that's pro player. Like, And honestly, like one of what the next best job uh, to being a fired head coach is being a fired player. Cause they still got to give you your money in most cases. And then you get another contract. Um, I think the sad thing with Zeke, honestly, is just that his career declined so fast because of the knee injury. But, I mean, he got paid. So it's like – He still say? ran for 800 yards yeah, last he year. Like, paid. he still had a productive year. And not what he was, like, getting paid, but, you know, still a productive year. And I didn't sign his paycheck, so I loved every dollar that he got. Yeah. No, he's a big part of the graphic that Ohio State gets put out every year. Yeah, because he's always making that money. Yeah, to be honest, I think he is a message to all young running backs. If you have a great first couple years, you better you better get your paycheck. You never know what the next three or four years are going to be. Take that money. Hopefully, hopefully you save it. Hopefully you invest it. You never know what can happen in your career. But uh, if someone's willing to pay you what they paid him, Except that any day of the week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next on the list, Jonathan Hankins, big Jonathan Hankins. Um, he'll get signed. I don't think he is going to be one of these first wave guys, but when teams need experienced interior guys, he'll get his. He'll get a role. Ten years in the league. I don't know. I don't think that'll be held against him. I, I really just think he's just not a first-wave guy at this point in his career. He's probably got one or two years left, um, and a team that's looking and has a young defense line will bring him in to have that old head in the room who's got a ton of experience, who's played playoff football. And I, I think that's really a big aspect that teams want. And I'm not just saying this because I'm now a Bears fan. I think he'd be good in the Bears room, especially because they're getting some younger guys in there and they're going to have to keep building up that young pass rush. So uh, I think that he would be good there. But wherever he goes, I think it is going to be, as you said, uh, it is going to be that he is a kind of veteran presence. Uh, Probably doesn't get that many snaps. He's not the starter, but – 
there is, you know, a lot of uh, value in that. And there's a lot of value in being available and collecting paychecks. And Buckeyes collect paychecks. And every additional year you play in the league, the greater your pension is. Listen, sounds like a win to me. He's definitely going to get signed. He's not going to be one of those guys out there that doesn't get signed. Uh, Like you said, he's just not... uh, just not a first round guy. Um, all right, next on the list we've got uh, Draymond Jones. This one was awesome. Um, he's been good in Denver. I didn't know he was. I didn't. I, I hadn't seen him. Like I didn't think he was great in Denver. You know, nonetheless, fifty one point five three million over three years, a twenty three point five guaranteed. So, you know, that gives Seahawks some flexibility if he doesn't live up to expectations, but. I do think um, I think he fits what the Seahawks like to do. And if you're the Seahawks, you need to get more talented defensive linemen. So they took a swing yeah. and add it to the graphic. Yeah, but I mean, he I mean, he's been great the last two years and like that's good money, but that's not great money. So I think there's a good chance he like lives up to that. But yeah, he's, um, you know, very happy for him. And he's one of those guys that it it took some time to click, but the NFL is hard. Uh, But once he clicked, like, and he's also he's also being valued in that he what he does is finally valuable in the NFL, like and in football in general. Like now, everybody wants a pass rushing three technique, and that's what he does. And it's the perfect time for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I, I feel like I feel like we're starting to see uh, some of the older Buckeyes that you know the JT teams, like the national championship team, those names that you just like love and associate with Ohio State. I like you're starting to see them kind of come to the twilight of their career. It's either going to be battling for camp invites or not getting signed. You got Michael Jordan. Um, You've got Jake McQuaid, the long snapper, 13 years in the league. Probably it's hard to get. There's one per team. Um, Billy Price, you know, hasn't really lived up to expectations. Started 11 games, not signed. Uh, and then Bradley Roby, this one, this one hurts. You know, I, I thought he was going to be one of the best corners in the league. Had a long, has had a long career, but it's not looking great. And then Nick Vinette, um, tight end, always finds work somehow. Um, you know, I think it's just you know those are all circa like 2016 guys outside the long snapper, um, and it's just you know that's how it works. It's it's the life of the NFL. Yeah, but I mean, I'm pretty sure everyone that you mentioned there is also a pension guy, so. They did what they needed to. Like, um, and then the last one, Rayquan McMillan resigned as a Patriots. Good for him. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I just want to, like, for people who, you know, I don't know. I just want to emphasize how good it is to get your pension. There's a reason they set it at the number that they set it at, because most people don't reach that. Like, yeah, that, it's literally, reaching the pension in the NFL the, is a success. What the average NFL career or whatever is like two point seven years, and they said the pension at three years. They knew what they were doing of active roster. Yeah, not uh, not uh, practice squad. 
So they do make it. They don't like on like when you hear it, it sounds like, oh, yeah, you should be able to do that. But it's it's not easy. I don't think injury time counts towards pension. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, they don't want to, you know, they like don't want to give out the money. So. You still get paid, but I don't think it counts towards your pension if you're injured and missing games. Right. They, like, they don't want to just hand out the money. You have to earn it. And so earning it is important. It is a win. Yeah. All right. Anything else we've got on this list? You know, honestly, we kind of cruised through the show today. Um, there wasn't really a lot. You know, that's what happens when spring break there's not practices um you know looking around uh, like you know people use this week to talk about Deion sanders um i guess that's cool um there wasn't anything crazy with realignment we kind of got that conversation out last week uh we can finish with this uh jaylee carter uh not going to jail and also coming into his pro day like pretty overweight um not to like you know i I think it's kind of mean to bring that up but uh it's just interesting it's interesting uh how harsh people have been um and what's going on at georgia post the two national championships um i did not see that but that's crazy um I mean, I, I obviously saw what happened. I didn't see that he went to his thing overweight. But, yeah, I, I think that um, 323. Ooh, yeah. He's not playing offensive tackle. That is uh, – <laughs> yeah, that's not great. His, I mean, he's still going to get drafted high. But, like, someone – ultimately, all this means is someone's going to get a steal because he's trying to tank his draft stock. And then someone at, like – nine like the bears or like 13 or something like that is going to draft an all pro because that's probably what he's going to be if he doesn't like exactly what's going to happen if he doesn't like flame out the league for whatever's going on yeah. in his life if you are a professional sports team and i don't say this in any i don't want to say this like to be Un, like not respectful to the people who were lost in the car accident uh, but if you're going to invest in Jalen Carter he needs to have a driver at all times absolutely put it, in his, like put it in his contract that's the case with most athletes I know I know the NFL's really worked in building these team these enterprise Uber accounts so that players always have drivers but we've seen it so many times these young people are successful, they get a really nice car, and it does not work out. And I, I just think it's just one of the one things, you're a multi-billion dollar organization. The least you can do is provide rides everywhere. Yeah. For your parents. Give them an Uber budget or something. Yeah. It honestly wouldn't be like how many like you pay for the practice squad. 53-man roster with that 65 people. You've got your coaches. Um, I know coaches are a little loony, so they like to get in early and stuff. So you might have to pay those drivers a little extra. But it would probably be cheaper in the long run than wasting $25 million because of something to do with the vehicle. Yeah. And I don't think everyone needs a driver, but, like, 
Some of them do. Some of them are adults and actually can, you know, just be adults, but some of yeah. them are not. It, and I think he, you know, if, you, if you're going to put in the time and effort and that's something that he's going to struggle with, but there also is something, like some people are going to roll their eyes at this. And I understand that because there's also something to accountability too. Like, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, like, roll your eyes all you want. If I'm just saying this, if I owned an NFL team, if I was an NFL head coach, this would be something that I wanted for my team, so I could have more control. But you're right; it is accountability thing. NFL teams aren't going to draft him because of it, and someone's going to get really, really lucky. His I'm going to guess even at 323 pounds, he's still probably pretty dominant. Yeah, and when, just won't be able to play 40 plays. Yeah. He'll lose the weight, too, if, again, he starts taking it serious. The thing is, if I've won two national championships, I might need a few too many hoagies, too. Hmm. I think that's more than a few, but, you know. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, but it is interesting. Um, it is interesting. It's going to be crazy. Um, but I, I, when is Ohio State's pro day? I'm very excited for that. I could. I want to see CJ Stroud throw the football a few more times. Couldn't tell you. But speaking of pro days, and maybe this is the last thing we can comment on it and get it out of here. Um, what I think is a great idea. I want to know how you feel about it. The Big 12 uh, is going to do a Big 12 pro day instead of a bunch of school pro days. And they're going to bring everyone in and just have a huge event that people can go to. And I think that's genius. Um, I think that's yeah. really smart. It saves on a lot of travel. It, it gets a lot of people in one place. You can get, if you pick a good day, especially because some of them were happening on multiple days, you're more likely going to get all 32 teams there. Like, I mean, I, yeah, I think that it is a really smart idea. I feel like it would be, and I feel like Troy Vincent's kind of hinted at this. It's in the best interest of the NFL as a league to work with conferences to build regional pro days. So they could build a schedule out. You'd have your Pac-12 one, your Big 12 one. You know, if you want to have one for each of the smaller conferences, you know, maybe make them two-day events, one for the smaller conferences, smaller schools, and then you let the Pac-12 have their highlight. Or I use Pac-12, but like Big 10, Big 12 have their highlighted day. You get to cover more ground. You get to – these scouts are going to be traveling to these places anyways. Um, so I, I feel like it would be in their best interest to work with the college football conferences to build out a schedule that works for everybody. And it allows you to spotlight more players. It allows you to spotlight more teams. And then you could use the NFL Combine as – a place to do medicals, interviews, and then you have all the testing at these specific conference pro days. Yeah, I think um, I think it's good, and I honestly think that that is what's going to – I think people are going to follow suit. They may wait a year or two to see how the Big 12s go, but I could see this being a thing. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I think it's a good idea. I, I don't see any problems with it. It The people are going to see the guys at Ohio State. They're going to see the players at Michigan. They're going to see the Alabama players. It's really – it's going to benefit the smaller schools that have these draft diamonds that people like to call them. 
and that, that that's really anywhere anywhere you can create more opportunities it's a good idea yeah and ultimately it's just going to save time and money yeah absolutely um so yeah i think um I think that's all we got today. Outside of that, we're we're gonna have a lot more to talk about next week when everything gets back into uh, back into the building. Um, but yeah, outside of that, you guys follow me at Chris Running CFB. Um, I don't have anything left for you guys today, but I will see you next week. Jordan, anything before we go? Nope, that's it. You can follow me at uh, Jordan W three three zero. And as always, go Bucks. Go Bucks.